Heavenly Father, we do come to you just now as the God who is concerned about our lives, concerned about the details of our lives, the God who is eager to be in relationship with us, your children. And so we ask that in these moments you would come and you would be our teacher, that we would see Jesus in, the, in, in this time, and that we'd be encouraged and changed by him. We ask in his perfect name. Amen. Please be seated. So as I mentioned then, we're in the middle of this series on prayer. And in the preceding weeks, we've kind of set something of a a theological framework to teach us how we ought to think about prayer. And there's really been three things that we've seen. First of all, and most importantly, we've seen that we can't begin to talk about prayer without remembering that for the Christian, prayer is a, a gospel reality. What does that mean? It means that the only reason we can pray, the only reason we can approach God is that we do so, Hebrews taught us, by his blood. It is the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross that has brought us back into relationship with God. And God who desires to know each and every one of us in this way offers that new life in Jesus to us and offers and invites us to come and pray in his name by his blood. The second thing we saw after embracing this gospel reality is that uh, the gospel doesn't just bring us into relationship with sort of, uh, you know, any old kind of God. No, the gospel brings us into relationship with the God who not only cares about us, but is capable to help us. So he cares. How's your week been this week? How did the the details and the stress and everything add up for you this week? Uh, How are you feeling about the week to come? All the details of the past week, all the details of the week to come are things that God cares about. He cares about your life. And not only does he care, but he's actually capable to to help you. He's not just some nice, soft, gentle, daughtery grandfather figure in the sky. No, he is the powerful God who's not just willing to help, but, but able to help. And so we saw the third thing in our kind of theological framework, which is because of the gospel we can draw near to God, and because we draw near to a God who cares and is capable, prayer makes a difference. And we we actually believe that, and we're really trying to believe that more. That when you pray, things happen that would not have happened had you not prayed. And so we thought about how God changes our circumstances, how God changes us, how God changes our relationship with him through this act of prayer. And so the conclusion that we reach in light of those things, the gospel drawing us near to this caring, capable God so that we might pray and things might change, leads us to the conclusion that we ought to pray. We ought to be a people who pray. And yet... As soon as we say that, as soon as we reach that conclusion, is there not another nagging thought that lurks in the back of our minds? Okay, that all sounds well and good, but what do we do about all those prayers that went unanswered? What do we do? Was God not caring or not capable there? Has the gospel not covered something for us there? What do we do with those prayers that remain unanswered? You prayed for that job interview and then... You, you didn't get that job. Perhaps you prayed for your kids to know the Lord and, and they're still wandering far from him. Perhaps you prayed for the healing of a loved one or a friend and they died. What, what do we do with these 
unanswered prayers. What do we do when God doesn't answer, at least not as we would have liked him to have answered? Three things for us this morning, three principles, three ideas that I think are helpful to us as we wrestle in a wholehearted way with the reality of unanswered prayer. Pick up your Bible if you have one there because we're going to be looking at a number of different passages and the first thing I want us to see is simply this. Sometimes prayer does go unanswered because number one, sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says no. Why? Only because he's good. Sometimes God says no, but only because he's good. Let's think about this idea together. I think there are at least two situations in which God might say no to our prayers. The first of which is when we come to God and ask him for something that we really shouldn't have asked him for. We come to God and we ask him for something that he really should, we really shouldn't have asked him for. Uh, let me look at two examples with you in the scriptures to try and make this a little more concrete. The first one comes in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, let's start in verse 35. Here we read that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus... And say to him, verse 35, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. (laughs) It's kind of ominous beginning, isn't it? Right? Jesus, not in the least taken in or fooled, says, verse 36, Well, (laughs) what do you want me to do for you? Right? Not giving you a blank check. Verse 37, they say, Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. Jesus, all this kingdom work is good. And we know that day is coming. You've told us about that day when you're going to be enthroned in the might and glory and splendor of heaven. And uh, history will come to an end and it will uh, live on for eternity in the new heavens and in the new earth. And see, on that day, we get it's all about you, Jesus. But can it be a little bit about us? You know, uh, One on your left, one on your right. You know, um, we, want the, we want the best seats in the house on that day. And, and Jesus, what does he do? He looks at them and he says, you know, this is, it's not wizard's tickets you're looking for here, right? You don't understand what it is you're saying. You do not know, verse 38, he says, what you are asking. James and John, these genius disciples, come to Jesus and ask him for something that they really shouldn't have asked him for. And so he says, no. Another example, let's look at Luke chapter 9. Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 51. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He determined that he would go to the cross. 52, he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his genius disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Jesus is on his his earthly ministry of, of love and grace to pursue a people who have wandered far from him. And the second there's some rejection of him, James and John say, hey, I've got fireworks. Let's call down the fury of heaven and destroy these people. What does Jesus say? 
Verse 55, he turned and rebuked them. James and John again are told no because they ask for something that they shouldn't have asked for. Now, two things. On one hand, this should make you a little nervous because um, you know what David Stevenson's first name is? If you look at the top of the bulletin, J. David Stevenson, John David Stevenson, James John. (laughs) Idiot disciples. (laughs) And the second thing, that's actually where the truth lies because if our New Testament James and John... Uh, took it upon themselves to uh, make such an inappropriate request. If they were capable of making a request that was so self-serving and materialistic and short-sighted and immature, I'm pretty sure this James and this John are capable of that, and I'm pretty sure the rest of us are as well. Uh, Coming to God and making requests, things that we shouldn't really ask for. Now, normally they're not crass, and you know, the disciples are great because they show us ourselves in stark contrast, right? Normally ours are a little more subtle. Often it's the it's kind of the cop out prayer, you know, Lord, would you please change that person? Help them grow to be more like Jesus. In order that I can remain exactly the same and won't have to grow to become more like Jesus. Sometimes it's the lazy prayer request. I love this one. Um, if you ever prayed that God would help you pass a test you didn't study for, okay? You've prayed that that lazy prayer request. I got some amen looks there. That was good. Um, Sometimes it's the selfish prayer request. You know, Lord, help me succeed in this area. Help me win this account, perhaps, in order that my reputation might grow. You see how we do come to God and ask for things we shouldn't ask for. Now, here's the good news. Fortunately, God loves us enough not to give us things that we shouldn't have asked for. And I wouldn't want a God who did anything else. We come to a God who's, who's not prepared to indulge us. And so sometimes he says no. Second reason he sometimes says no is that not only do we ask for things we shouldn't ask for, but we also sometimes ask for things that ultimately wouldn't be good for us. Ask for things that ultimately wouldn't be good for us. Now, there's nothing obviously wrong with the request. There's nothing necessarily sinful about the request. It's just that God has a better plan. We see an example of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to flick there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where we see that Paul himself has this experience. Let's start in um, verse 7. Uh, Paul says, to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Paul has had these amazing visions of the Lord. He says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me me from being too elated. Verse 8, here comes the prayer. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is is made perfect in weakness. Was it wrong for Paul to pray that this thorn would be taken? Of course not. That's a very reasonable thing to pray. Certainly no sin there. And yet the Lord says, I'm going to say no to this request, but I'm going to say no for your own good. First of all, if I take this thorn away, it's possible that you'll become, the text said, too elated, too puffed up, too full of yourself. You'll think that you're kind of big time and you're not. And you need that for your own soul, for your own humility. And not only do you need that, but everyone that you're ministering to needs for you to have this thorn. (laughs) They need this, but that you might minister not out of your own strength, 
boasting in your own strength, but out of your weakness and find that as I use you in your weakness, great things will happen. So for your sake, Paul, and for the sake of everyone else, I'm saying no to this request, even though there is nothing wrong with asking. Sometimes, of course, in our lives, we'll pray these prayers and we'll get the joy of seeing why God said no. Perhaps, for example, it was the, um, the relationship you had that you really prayed would go well and end in marriage. And when that relationship ended, you were heartbroken. But now looking back, you're happily married to someone else and really glad God said no to that request. Perhaps it's the, the job that you wanted that you thought would be a great fit, but now looking back, you see that the Lord provided another job that is a, a much better fit for you. Perhaps, as, as one family in the congregation has shared with me before, that, that prayer that they might be able to have a child. Now looking back with adopted children that are dear and precious and they would never exchange for the entire world, they're, they're glad that the Lord said no. Sometimes we get the joy of seeing why God says no. Sometimes we don't get the joy. The point is that God isn't just the, you know, the, the cosmic vending machine. You, you plug in the right buttons and soda comes out. Plug in the right prayers and those answers will come out. No, he's, he's real and he's a person. And he is a loving father. And so he cares about us and he knows what's best for us. And so sometimes, like any loving parent, he'll say no us. It's fortunate. We're glad. We celebrate as hard as it is that God loves us enough and not to grant requests that we shouldn't have made or that wouldn't be good for us. Sometimes God says no because he's good. Second thing we can consider when it comes to answer prayer after the fact that God sometimes says no because he's good is that God sometimes says wait. God sometimes says, wait, because he's wise. He sometimes tells us to wait because he's wise. See, we live in in a very instant society. We live in a society where faster always equals better. And so we have express lanes, not just on the beltway, but at the grocery store. We get our movies and our TV and our entertainment on demand. If our internet connection takes longer than five seconds, we feel like it's time for an upgrade. We live in a very instant society. And uh, we've we've been this way and and, and have learned this really ever since we were children. What's the worst words a child can hear? Not yet. I think a child experiences that worse than no. Having, having to, being told to wait is almost worse than, worse than no. Are we nearly there? Right. When can I get a cell phone? When can I get my ears pierced? My daughter wrote me a great letter um, as to why she should get her ears pierced. And it said, two-thirds of the girls at my table have their ears pierced. I am the third. It's like you evil genius (laughs) and yet do you not think I I find I'm sure you find it too when it comes to God and when it comes to prayer there's an impatient child inside of me there's an impatient child inside of me when God asks me to wait I find I've maybe not matured as much as I would have hoped. We don't just want him to answer our prayers. We want him to answer our prayers 
now. Again, fortunately, God is no more intimidated by our demands than a wise parent is intimidated by their four-year-old. He smiles and he says, I understand. I understand this desire. I'm not even rebuking you for this desire, but honestly, I know what I'm doing. God always has reasons for making us wait. He doesn't toy with us. He doesn't play with us. He has, he has reasons for making us wait. Consider two of them briefly with me. Sometimes God makes us wait because he's working on us. He's working on us. Instant gratification breeds shallow character. It breeds shallow character. You know what we call a child who always gets what they want when they want it? We, we call them spoiled. We call them a brat. They're ill-equipped to have, what they t- what, to have what it takes to navigate life. And the reality, the reality is, as hard as it is, that so many spiritual gains, so much spiritual character are realized through pain and through challenge and through difficulty and through hurt and through disappointment and through confusion, the qualities that we need in abundance in order not to live shallow lives are formed in our hearts and in our souls. Very often it's qualities that we're going to need later on in life. I I, I remember um, waiting on the visas that we needed uh, to come and pastor at McLean. So we'd signed up and agreed and we're all set to, to come and, and pastor at McLean. But we were in Scotland waiting on the visas to come through that would enable us to, to be here. And, you know, a couple of weeks passed and a couple of months passed and there was no clear deadline as to when this will be done. And I really felt the Lord saying, I'm teaching you to wait on me. Do you know how much I enjoy being taught patience? Yeah. And that's what, I, that's what I felt he was teaching me. Little did I know that within six months of being here, our son Seamus would have some medical issues that would land us in the hospital with him and for a week wondering whether he was going to live or die. Now, how glad was I at that point to have been taught a little bit about what it means to wait on the Lord? Just a little bit. And I'm sure that hospital room experience is teaching me a little bit more for something else I'm going to need that haven't yet seen. Sometimes God tells us to wait because he's working in us. He's wise. He knows what to do and he knows when to do it. Secondly, God sometimes tells us to wait because he's working on the very situation that we're praying about. He's working on the very situation that we're praying about. He is answering the prayer just as part of a process. Not all prayer requests can be answered in the microwave. Some have to be answered over time read a great example this week that comes from the life of George Mueller, who was a 19th century evangelist famous for setting up an amazing orphanage in England. If you want encouragement in your prayer life, I would encourage you to to get hold of one of the biographies that's been written on on his life, encouraging and challenging in in equal measure. Some of the highlights. Mueller prayed 
asking that God would provide him with a building for this orphanage, people to oversee it, some furniture, money and food and clothing. God answered his prayers and the needs of the orphanage were met day by day, sometimes by a very wealthy, generous donor who would give a large sum of money, sometimes the daily need even being met by a, a small child who would give a little bit of money that they'd earned by doing chores. And so little by little, day by day, moment by moment, God provided for this work. It's estimated that in his lifetime, Mueller prayed in what would be the equivalent of about $150 million without ever asking anyone for money. He prayed and he waited on God. More than 10,000 children lived in the orphanage over the years and when each child came uh, to that point where they were old enough to leave Mueller would go and he would see them and he would give them a Bible in one hand and place a coin in their other hand. And he would pray to them and say, hold on to what's in this hand and the Lord will always provide what you need in that hand. Trust and wait on the Lord his life gives us such a good example though that's why I'm sharing about him just now of of how God is sometimes at at work on the situations we're praying about which is why he asked us to wait and Mueller was a man who prayed for 50 years that two of his friends would come to Christ one biographer just has a, a quick side note that says so you know you think praying for something for 20 years is long you're not even halfway you know keep praying Keep praying. He prayed for 50 years that two of his friends would come to Christ. And when he died, they didn't know the Lord. And then, both of them came to Christ at his funeral. <laughs> Isn't that great? You're saying, Lord, save these men, save these men, save these men, day after day after day after day. And the Lord's saying, yeah, I'm working on it. They're going to come to faith at your funeral. Do you want to wait? <laughs> All right? <laughs> And so the prayers of God's people and the prayers of George Mueller formed the mosaic, each prayer a dot, that would result in the conversion of his friends. God tells us to wait, sometimes because he's working on us, but sometimes because he's working on the situation. He's rarely early, but he's never late. He's wise. He knows what to do and when to do it. So number one, uh, sometimes God says no because he's good. Number two, sometimes God says wait because he's wise and then comes number three and with that I hope a strange form of encouragement a strange form of encouragement that we're really trying in this place to wrestle with God in a real way because the third point is simply this Um, sometimes you have no idea what God's doing sometimes you just have no idea what God's up to and if you were hoping for answers and if you were always hoping for certainty we just don't get it sometimes we don't know what God is doing you pray for your husband to stop drinking he comes home drunk again you pray for your wife's depression yet she seems just to sink deeper and deeper you pray for those loved ones to come to Christ and they're as far from him as they've ever been and if anything only hardening. These things are hard for us to deal with and they're especially hard because how could those things, clearly those are good things you're praying for. Clearly those are good things. 
It's not sinful to be praying for any of those things. And you sort of feel, how could those things not be a part of God's will? It's challenging for us. It's difficult for us. And into that situation when we don't know what God's doing, two brief, gentle reminders. First thing to remember when we don't know what God's doing is simply, it sounds redundant, but remember that God is God. So Isaiah 55, for my thoughts, he says, are not your thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. The way you think about things and the way I think about things are fundamentally different. Why? Because you're a creature and I'm creator. (laughs) And the way you do things and the way I do things, they're not the same. It's fundamentally different. Why? Because you're you and that's great that you're you, but I'm God. And I know what I'm doing. And so he continues, as high as the heavens, uh, for, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Friends, even in difficult situations, we want to be slow to presume that we know better than God. Slow to presume that we know better than God. Children often don't understand their parents. And when a child doesn't understand their parent, the, the child naturally assumes that the parent is evil, unkind, um, and just subjecting them to some form of cruel or unusual torture. Right? Where all along, parent actually knows, actually knows what they're doing. Now, I should add, that works in my illustration. Okay? In real life, parents, we often don't know what we're doing. Okay? <laughs> let's, be, let's be honest about that, but back to illustration. Okay? Let me live in this world. Um, <laughs> parent knows what they're doing. Uh, true perhaps of human parents certainly true though of God we believe don't we believe that um, when the results are in God's character is always intact in the final analysis God's integrity will stand remember he is God secondly though when we're struggling to know what on earth God's doing in our lives yeah, remember he's God, but also remember the gospel. Remember he's the God who loves you. The most important consideration when we're struggling with the Lord is to remember that basic dynamic of gospel prayer, that the very confidence that would bring you into God's presence, namely the blood of Christ, is the same confidence that would assure you that God is for you even when you don't know what he's doing. And so in Romans 8, we have that great notion of the God who has given us Jesus Christ and how along with him will this God not graciously give us all things. And how there's nothing in heavens or on the earth or under the earth, be it powers, be it principalities, be it height nor depth or anything else in all creation, be it even unanswered prayer that can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so... so Praying in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, becomes a potent reminder that whether or not we feel God has answered our prayers, he is for us. And so it's the gospel that makes all the difference 
to our unanswered prayers because we can pray boldly and rest whether he says yes whether he says no whether he says wait whether we've no idea what he's up to we can rest because we know that he loves us that in the final analysis when the votes are in not only will God's character be intact but you'll be intact also that the richness of our theology the richness of God's power and of his love for us you know these these meaty Um, and substantive ideas practically trickle down for us to say in a really robust way everything's going to be okay everything's going to be okay I don't understand it but there's a God and there's a gospel and that's what I put my hope in that's what I put my trust in so friends, yes sometimes God says no because he's good sometimes he says wait because he's wise sometimes we have no idea what he's up to But because he's God and because of the gospel, we have the hope to believe. We have this hope to believe this morning that God might not answer your prayer exactly as you prayed it, but he will answer your prayer exactly as you would have prayed it if you were as good and as wise as he is. Gospel hope in the face of unanswered prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we've reflected uh, a fair bit in this series on the um, reality of relationship, that you call us to come into your presence and be ourselves, that we don't have to dress up to impress you, that we can just be honest about where we are. And Lord, part of being honest about where we are involves being honest about unanswered prayer. It's challenging and difficult for us, Father, when we read of gospel promises and when we read of your character and we read of the power of prayer to be frustrated by so many unanswered prayers. And God, it's great that you invite us to come to you with that frustration, that you're big enough to hear our frustrations and that you love us enough to to let us share our frustrations. And so would you grow our faith that when we hear no, we would see your goodness. When we hear wait, we would see your wisdom. When we've no idea what you're up to, we would remember that you are God and you are the God of the gospel. You're the God who answers all prayers, even this prayer. And not exactly as we pray it, but exactly as we would have prayed it if we were as good and as wise as you are. These things we pray in the perfect name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, meaning in the assurance that you are for us. Amen.